Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing Mystery 2, Beware Dawn. Did you give me the intro because it's a Dawn book? <laughs> yeah. I you knew have it. to beware. <laughs> mm. Beware of what, really? Good question. Shall we get into our one-sentence summaries and find out? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Oh, sorry, yes. Wow, this is, this is <laughs> not going well. <laughs> okay, I'll go. My one-sentence summary is... Dawn rats on a neighborhood kid who exacts revenge by sabotaging the babysitter of the month contest. <laughs> oh, that's actually a pretty that's a good very one. straight ahead summary yeah. for you, Emily. I'm impressed. <laughs> I was trying to make it dramatic because <laughs> okay. I thought the book was very not dramatic. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that Emily's summary was more descriptive than mine. Because mine mm. is more of a comment. Uh, <laughs> is it? Let saying- me guess. Let me guess. <laughs> let me guess. Is it, didn't we read this book already? <laughs> that's that's very accurate, and it, that did go through my mind, but what I'm going to say is, I'm glad Alan Gray had an alibi, because this poor guy, he gets blamed for everything. It's like, whenever something yeah. goes wrong in Stony Brook, it's like, Alan Gray, he did it. It's true. It's true. I'm is this also- where we begin a justice for Alan Gray? <laughs> yes. Go fund me. Play, yeah. <laughs> All right, mine uh, rounds it out, which is Mel Tucker gets the help he needs. Okay. Okay, bringing it down a little as me, but. I'm troubled. He's a troubled boy. I know. All right. He's a troubled boy. He's troubled. (laughs) He's troubled. I'm going to start singing G Officer Krupke. Anyway, wait, you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Manic Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. If you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. And we have a couple new patrons to thank today, uh, Kat Parton and Justine Flores. Thank you, Kat and Justine. Woohoo! Pizza toast to Kat and Justine. Thank you. Pizza toast. Okay, so let's get into this uh, mystery. It's our second mystery. Yes. Been a while since Just our first. How these work? Yeah. So, the first mystery was called I don't remember. <laughs> what was it called? Stacy and the Missing Ring. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Alan Gray, was Alan Gray blamed for that in that book? Honestly, I think so. <laughs> I'm going to keep track of this and all the mysteries going forward. Okay, sure you are. <laughs> hey, I, I kind of remembered. Like, not a single person that listens to this podcast believed that for one minute. Okay, like, fine. Everyone that's listened to more than two episodes like spit their tea like, okay, Anne. <laughs> anyway, so this book. I think the real mystery is why Mel Tucker has issues, right? Oh, I don't think that's much of a mystery. Um, but but we can talk about it when we get to my corner. But yeah, it's I mean, he's clearly been a been a problem child since since his introduction, right? Doesn't he get introduced in Christie and the Secret of Susan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. As one of the kids that's mean to Susan. And then every yeah. time we see him, he's just being a being a bully, right? Yeah, this is the first thing I noted. Following this book, it is it is a line from Mel, 
And he says, what mm-hmm. do you think you're doing, you dumb croc? And I was yeah. like, oh, that's, that's nice, Mel. You know? Yeah. No, Mel is, Mel is I troubled. feel like croc is not that mean of an insult. No, but what makes an insult mean is when you see the impact of it, right? And what it does to the person. So the Cobarts clearly hate it. Right. But I'm like, I don't know. You are from Australia. Just own it. <laughs> right? It takes away the power of the insult if you're like, yeah. Yeah, it's the equivalent oh, yeah. of that if an American in Australia is that like Yankee or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Yank. Yank, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean. Yeah. What am I going to do? You are what you are, right? Well, I guess it's... it's would they You're either us- a yank or a croc, you know? Yeah. <laughs> would they call us like an animal that's native to North America? Like maybe like a raccoon or something instead? Oh, what about a grizzly bear? Yeah. That'd be cool. You grizz. I would like to move to Australia and be called grizz. As a- <laughs> so would I, frankly. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, Although no. I think Don says it's a reference to Crocodile Dundee, uh, well, not is, yeah. to the animal, right? Okay, so then what would they call us, like Rambo? <laughs> like, oh, God. Okay, maybe, ma- yeah, maybe I don't like it's this. Like, it's like, <laughs> I've decided it's insulting. I've come back What's around. What's funny <laughs> is my other response to Rambo is Rocky, who are both played by the same actor. <laughs> I did not know the difference between those movies when I was a child for a very long time. Um, because they're both like a guy's name that starts with R and like Fighty Fighterson. I, who am I kidding? I still don't know. <laughs> Wait, they're Fighty Fighterson. They're Rocky's very boxer, different right? movies. <laughs> Rocky is a boxer, right? And Rambo yes. is a, a, a like troubled Vietnam vet. I think I learned yeah. that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Sylvester Stallone talk. On a Babysitter's Club right, well, podcast for some reason. What actually happened? Wait, but isn't book? he not even American? <laughs> is he a croc? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. What actually happened okay. in this book? Basically, there's a favorite babysitter contest. And oh, yeah. Who is, who is running this sitter? And the, the kids are voting at Stony Brook Elementary to choose sitter of the month? The kids are running it themselves. It's, okay. They came up with it. And I think they they think it's supposed to be cute, right? Like once a month we'll like say thank you to our favorite babysitter and immediately all the babysitters are like, I want to win. It would mean <laughs> yeah. so much to me. I have to be the best babysitter. Yeah, so everyone gets it super will competitive. Yeah. Christy's like, it would really mean so much to me to be the first winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she like she sees a rain coming of just like a three-peat of her as favorite babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So because of this. Everyone keeps it to themselves when they start getting like legitimately scary notes. I feel like the notes from Christie's Mystery Admirer were not so scary, but like these are like some of them are quite problematic. And Mel Mel is deeply troubled. Sorry, spoiler, it's Mel. Um mm. Well, they call they, he's Mr. X. Yes. Which yeah, as we do remember they... you had a crush on someone and his code name is Mr. X in elementary school. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> but my favorite part is in the book is when they started recounting all the times that got into competitive fights. They're like, there was that one time. Yeah. yeah. I know? was saying this to Emily before you signed on to the to the link to record. It felt like a sitcom clips show mm-hmm. from the late 80s. Like they were like just going back and saying, remember little Miss Stony Brook? Yeah, wow. Competition really got in our way then. Yeah. And they, like and then just as like, remember they, that they science project? Anymore. I see a theme. 
So the whole mystery is just basically figuring out who this mystery menacer is, kind of. And what a mystery it is. So it's Mel. Big surprise. Somehow they come to each other and they admit it. For a little while, Dawn suspects Christy because Christy is super motivated to win and she's the only one that doesn't get any of the notes. Yeah. I feel like that Um, was a real Dawn move. Just really, (laughs) I bet it's Christy. Don't you think so, Emily? Yeah. Isn't that what you would do too? I mean, I'm not convinced it's not still. Like if Emily. She framed framed Mel. I mean, she's the one who walks him home, right? I don't know. For instance. I think it was an inside job. If Emily and I started to get mystery notes left on our doorstep, Emily would definitely come to me and be like, I think it's Esme. Mm -hmm. I think it's Esme. I wish I had more free time right now because I would full on cut out magazine things and send you guys weird notes. (laughs) A box of Malamars arrived at my house. Who could it be? There was no note. All right, Emily, what did you notice in this book? Like literally nothing, but there was one one funny thing. Let's see. Okay, when they're um they set up a, a trap to get to catch Mel. And while they're waiting for him to show up, they're sitting around at Donna Marianne's house for almost an hour. And I was cracking up about the things that they do to pass the time. So I love this they say, so much. At first we talked just to pass the time. We talked about who our quote unquote dream boyfriend would be about what high school is going to be like, and about who in history we'd like to have been, that kind of stuff. We've been over it a million times before, but it's always fun. And I was like, oh my God, who the fuck are they saying that they want to be in history? Oh, great question. Yeah. So then, but then I'm going to just tell you about this weird um, kind of tangent I went down while I was like trying to think about how to even begin thinking about who they would have Mm -hmm. been, who they would have been saying they were. And I, I was like, oh, we could play like, which girl would want to be like what president each of them would have wanted to be. (laughs) (laughs) But then I was just like, Oh, I wonder if there are funny listicles about like who the most popular historical figures are. And I came on across this book that these two data scientists wrote and where they wrote a book called, I think the title of the book is who's bigger. (laughs) It's a 2013 book. And they did this really interesting thing where they try to statistically rank like who the most significant historical figures are based Mm -hmm. on primarily kind of like a data analysis of Wikipedia in addition to like a bunch of other shit. But it's it's quite funny because they like analyze the pages to measure quantities that might have corresponded to historical significance. So it's not just like how many people go to these pages, right? Like, and are they significant because... The, because of the scale and scope of people who are interested in them. But like, mm-hmm. you know, how can we know, you know, what are other indicators that are quantitative from these pages that we might be able to elicit some kind of, you know, figure for? So like, like how long the pages are, how many, like how many citations they have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how high they come up on like Google's own measure of importance. And they combine like all of these variables into like one single number using factor analysis and then they like rank like every historical figure on this like quantitatively on this scale isn't that weird it's such a bizarre exercise we'll throw this up on our bookshop okay. everybody this is so bizarre so but i want to read you who their overall top 30 is and and we see if we think that at a single one of these figures would have appeared on the the girls list <laughs> okay wait are they all men no okay they're i mean um, they're mostly men i'm impressed with humanity yeah. that they're not all women. <laughs> okay, so number one is Jesus. 
Sorry. I don't mean I hope it's not disrespectful. I just didn't I didn't Christ. Jesus that. Christ. <laughs> yeah. Number two is Napoleon. Hmm. Three is Muhammad. Four is Shakespeare. Five is Lincoln. Six is Washington. George. Seven is Hitler. Eight is Aristotle. Nine hmm. is Alexander the Great. Ten is Thomas Jefferson. Eleven is Henry the Eighth. Twelve is Charles Darwin. Thirteenth, Elizabeth the First. Uh fourteen is Karl Marx. Whoa, Uh, hey there, Marxy. (laughs) 15 15 is Julius Caesar. 16 is Queen Victoria. And I think those are the only two women on here. (laughs) 17 is Martin Luther. 18 is Joseph Stalin. 19 is Albert Einstein. 20 is Christopher Columbus. 21 is Isaac Newton. 22 is Charlemagne. (laughs) 23 is Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, 24 is Mozart. 25 is Plato. 26 is uh, Louis XIV. 27 is Beethoven. 28 is Ulysses S. Grant. 29 is Leonardo da Vinci. And 30 is Augustus. I don't even know who Augustus is. None of the girl. <laughs> like, okay, what are any of these figures on their list? Okay. I could see Leonardo da Vinci for Claudia. Oh. Because mm-hmm. of his, because she's not, I think she would be impressed with his inventions as well as his art and the scope of what he achieved in his relatively mm-hmm. short life. So I feel like Da Vinci's not too far off. Mm-hmm. Do we think that Jesse would have like a Mozart or a Beethoven on there just because like there yeah. aren't any major, you know, historical figures at this scale that are like ballet dancers, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Christy Hitler? <laughs> and had that locked and loaded since number seven. How long have you been waiting? <laughs> Since book one. No, I'm just kidding. I, I was like, is she going to say Napoleon or Hitler? Is she going to say Napoleon or Hitler? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like um, TV series Dawn might have marks, but mm. probably not book Dawn. Not in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel, feel like, like I could see Stacy saying one of the like major queens. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like Stacy could say Queen Victoria. Yeah. What about Mallory Shakespeare? Oh, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like one of them has got to be Isaac Newton, I feel, would be in their, their zeitgeist, right? Like, yeah, in but eighth, I eighth grade science. Yeah, but I don't know who other than Stacy would pick Isaac Newton. Right, like a famous math person. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't you think like someone would pick Thomas Jefferson? Only because I remember, do you remember in high school, Miss Wilcox went on and on about how great he was? <laughs> I, I feel like <laughs> you'd be more that? likely I feel like I dissociated through mo- most of Miss Wilcox's class. I'm sorry, Miss Wilcox. I, I I really missed U.S. history. I don't know if it was a rebellion against my father who taught it or what. And like later on in life, I was like, "Oh, U.S. history is really interesting." Oops, like, like might be, might be, yeah. Well, I feel like one of them could say Lincoln, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like, like eighth grade, you're really you're the focus on emancipation and mm-hmm. the civil war, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I, I feel like that's more like, realistic for Dawn. Like that's the level mm, of revolutionary. I would have Dawn wanted was. to, to liberate yeah. the slaves. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think Lincoln, I, I uh, Christy, honestly, I think might choose George Washington. Mm, the founder. Yeah, I wanted the great idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, although, you know, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson wrote a lot of that stuff. Right. So Christy could also choose. True. Jefferson. The behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. So who did, funny. Who have we left out? I think, did we get everybody? Marianne. Mm. I don't think there's anybody there that Marianne would be particularly impressed with. Jesus Christ. I was just going to say I was, Jesus. Me too. I was going to say that too. Why did we all say that? 
Well, because she's she wants to focus on you know being I feel like golden rule and being kind to people and things like that mm-hmm. would appeal to to Marianne. Like mm-hmm. I could see Marianne being like I don't know like I'm not sure what I believe, but I think he had some good things to say. You know, mm-hmm. like totally good lessons. Yeah, that's so interesting. Isn't that a funny list? And I yeah. so the reason I came across this book too is because they wrote an article in the Guardian the year after the book came out defending their methodology against some like critics, primarily from historians. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, historians say Wiki can't be trusted as a source. And they're like, well, sure, like it's not going to be the most scholarly accounting of a person's the sum total of a person's life and achievements but like the algorithm it's a really popular site and so like algorithmically it makes sense as a kind of place to see like where not only what information people are getting but how you know what are the patterns at which they're accessing it and what what's the like how does what's there interact with kind of our perceptions about who were important? And I just thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> it's really interesting, right? Because they're asking a different question that historians are asking, right? Yeah. And, and and it's about like current cultural, like you said, like zeitgeisty or quotidian impact of these particular people. It's not about actual historical data or impact. Right. It's like right. who are we still talking about all the time? And who who are people Googling and who are people reading information about and adding to and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing that skews it is that they only analyze the English edition of Wikipedia. So, right. but they're like, I mean, how can we really fairly quantitatively assess the significance of Chinese poets against U.S. presidents, you know? And so, like, I like the acknowledgement that that quantitative analysis only gets us kind of so far there. But, right. Yeah. But then it's, you know, someone else could do this weird little project in a mm-hmm. different country. Okay, so this is a ar- totally arbitrary top 30 list, but do we think there are historical figures just that we expect the girls to say they would want to be? Yeah, and it's not that they admire, it's that they would want to be. Yeah. I could see I f- Claudia choosing like Andy Warhol or somebody else in like a more mm-hmm. modern art movement. Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking too, right, that like there's probably this weird conundrum because I could see, right, when you're a 13-year-old girl... You want to be a historical figure, probably that is a woman, right? Mm-hmm. But like in what year is this? Ninety whatever, yeah. nineteen ninety one. Like how many fe- you know female historical figures are they really learning about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like are they? They probably aren't reading Frankenstein yet, right? They probably don't know Mary Wollstonecraft. They probably, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. they may know a couple queens or or like Cleopatra or something, right? But right. like, I yeah. imagine they're the Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I don't know, like, are they really going to say I wanted to be Harriet Tubman? Yeah. Well, and yeah. And I think particularly even more so for Claudia, like if Claudia wanted to choose a Japanese American person and and are we defining historical as someone who's dead? I think so. Right. Yeah. Then that knocks Yoko Ono off my list, who was the only person that I could think of that Claudia might have known who she was in 1991. Yeah, I mean they don't specify the criteria, but right. my but guess is that historical. That dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Anne? Oh, I was thinking scary. about what a historical figure I would want to be. Oh, yeah. I can't. I can't <laughs> think of anything though. I mean, historical figures tend to have some sort of like uh, controversy around them mm-hmm. at some point. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm also a fan of my comforts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't need to be that famous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and also like hard. I, I, you'd want to be you, 
I'd want to be someone who's like not in the spotlight, right? And those aren't the people that are that are right. Then who can you that choose? stand the test of? Yeah, I want to be like someone who was a consultant to one of these people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. So we have no idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, listeners, if you have any good ideas of what historical figures the Babysitters Club members would want to be, let us know. If we limit it to men, I feel like it's not that hard. And that's probably who they were choosing because of the information that they got. Like, I feel you like think? I feel like Jesse might have chosen like George Balanchine or something like, I don't know. Or maybe she chose a ballerina whose name I don't know. But mm. do you think Anna Martin will be a historical figure? Well, so this is the top 30 list that they came up with in the book. But they have other lists where they separate by like figures so there's one of literary figures and there are women on this oh emily dickinson is on this one hmm. in the top 50 i could see mallory choosing her mm-hmm. or marianne i feel yeah jane austen's on here mm-hmm. uh i think they are the only two women on here except right. unless i unless i'm forgetting one of these male names is a oh a pen, a name. pen name george bernard shaw this is just making me angry yeah <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Percy Shelley is on here, but not Mary Shelley. Oh, great. I've never even heard of him. Yeah, me too. Huh. What the <laughs> fuck? Anyway, that's just my uh, my daily dose of Emily ruining things. <laughs> fun times, fun times. Here's, here's, our, here's our moment of reflection on how stupid it is, how few little knowledge we have of, of significant uh, historical figures that were, are not men. White men specifically. White men specifically. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Do you have something more fun? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't oh, know good. if it's more fun, but it's <laughs> sort of fun. So I was really interested in this idea of competition, right? Because they talk about competition a lot in this book. And they also, each babysitter like reflects at some point, either in her babysitting chapter or like in retrospect from Dawn on the fact that like when competition comes up, we kind of go crazy and like, this isn't good for us. And they, they have this idea that they can get really competitive and that it's a problem, which I think is really interesting gender wise as well. Um, but I wanted to see if there was any data on like teen girls and competition. Um, and so I did probably like 10 to 15 lit searches in, in psychology databases. And all of the stuff that I came up with was either about eating disorders because it's pretty well documented that it's a it's a problem in eating disorder programs that people who are in the throes of an episode of anorexia nervosa can get competitive with one another for like who is eating less and who is losing the most weight and that that's a problem. So it's hard when you get people together to treat this disorder because it's really pernicious to begin with. And then they do comparisons with each other with the other people on the unit. So there was some data about that. There was specifically yes, this is way more fun. <laughs> I'm gonna get to the more interesting parts, geez, or the less less miserable parts. There is some data on competitiveness around attracting male attention, which I didn't even read those articles because that's the face I made. Emily, Emily just made a blah face. And then there is some about social media and competition, but I didn't look into that because we're in 1991. So I wanted to stay blissfully in an area where we didn't have social media. <laughs> So there really isn't good data on just like the competitive urge in general in girls. Mm. There's a lot. 
for teenage boys, not surprisingly, and they study like boys sports and things like that. But there, I really couldn't find much. I might have not have been using the right search terms, but I used all different versions of com- compete and I just didn't really find anything. So I think it's kind of an understudied phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But there is this idea. I think I talked about this book, The Triple Bind by Steve Hinshaw. It's, it's up on our bookshop. I think I talked about it in like episode two or three, but it came out probably 10 years ago. And it's this concept of one of the major problems with teen girlhood today is that there are these like three equal pressures happening where you have to be really feminine and like kind and sweet and nice to everybody, like traditionally feminine and caretaking, and also be super competitive, like at the top of your class and at the top of your sport or whatever your your art or your activity is, and then also be hot <laughs> and mm. like make it look effortless. And that's that's the the kind of third piece that is really compounded by social media nowadays. And that basically you can't be all three of those things and that it's sort of crushing it's crushing girls. And it's it's really um, a huge problem and leading to some of our mental health crisis. You're right. I'm not cheering it up. (laughs) But I think what's really interesting about that idea that I think we see displayed in this book is that I and again, can't find data on this. But I think that Anna Martin's hitting on something really interesting here, which is I think girls are just as can be just as competitive as boys if it's around something that is interesting to them. Right. Maybe we're not quite as inclined to be competitive about some of the arbitrary things that boys can get competitive about, but that we all have particular competitive streaks. But we also are taught and socialized. And this is where your your thoughts come in, Emily, that good girls aren't super competitive at least, or or are only competitive in accepted kind of tracks, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's okay to be competitive on the soccer field, but you should be like modest in class and not show that you got the highest grade on the test or whatever, like don't make Mm -hmm. other people feel bad. And so they're in this kind of conflict where they're feeling really competitive. They're really excited about trying to get sitter of the month, for instance, in this book, but they're also really ashamed over the fact how much they want sitter of the month. And so they're not talking to each other about it and they're, and they're stuck. So they, they, and I think this goes back to that sort of effortlessness idea that like you should get things, but only like casually because they naturally come to you, not because you're working hard or not because you're ambitious or you want them. And I think we see, and I think that's some of the reason over the course of the series, why some people get frustrated at Christy is because she, she has similar to me, she has no chill. And so like people like her, like naked ambition is like embarrassing to the girls who are like better socialized in girlhood and in Mm. kind of how you're supposed to act as a girl in society. Mm -hmm. And so I just saw this as like a little microcosm of that conflict of Mm -hmm. that they do want to win and they do want to get this thing, but they also feel ashamed that they, that that's what they want. I'm curious what both of your thoughts are on that. Well, I mean, I think I am, I mean, I'm introverted and I am also weirdly ambitious in my own way. Mm-hmm. But I think like when you were describing what you just said, I, to me, it's more rewarding extroversion mm-hmm. um, more than being ambitious. Cause I feel like I struggle with, I'm, I'm freelance. Part of the reason I'm freelance because I don't do well in an office setting because of office politics, like mm-hmm. extroversion gets rewarded. Mm-hmm. And like, even if you are smarter, have better ideas or more talented than someone who is like, it doesn't matter if someone is just louder than you. So to mm-hmm. me, Christy is just like louder. 
Yeah, no, but I think it's it's not just that she's louder, but it's that she's. I think it's not about ambition is not the right word, but I think like sometimes she's open about things Mm -hmm. that she wants in a way that I think are going against gender norms. Mm -hmm. Like you're not supposed to admit that you want to win or that you want to be the best because it's like doesn't doesn't look good. Yeah, it's like too. No, I get it. I think that also plays into culture. Like Mm -hmm. obviously. My my culture yeah. is very like anti that. Like yeah. you don't promote yourself, you don't you're not you know you don't draw attention to yourself and stuff like that. Yeah. So definitely. So you can look at sort of like how women are socialized in general, and then right. it's going to be even more for particular cultural groups, depending on what norms are around modesty mm-hmm. and and you know promoting others over yourself. Yeah, and just speaking from like a personal point of view, it's not that like I don't think people saying. I want, I want this or being loud about what they want. Like, I don't have an issue with that. I think it's more like it silences other people sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like, I, like mm-hmm. for me, that's how I feel. Like, I don't care if people mm-hmm. are like that, but when they're not considerate to other people and mm-hmm. not aware or mindful of other people who aren't like that, especially because those types of Christy people tend to be managers. Mm-hmm. So as someone who has had mostly managers who were like that. Some people are very aware of who they're dealing with and some people just aren't. And I think to me, that's Mm -hmm. more the important thing to remember is like, you Mm -hmm. just have to understand how other people operate. I feel like you're getting away from the question that I asked. So like, what, what, like, I just don't disagree with anything Mm -hmm. that you said, but like, what about this like cycle of like them all all seven mm-hmm. of them, given their different personalities at different points in this book, being like, oh, but I really want a Linsitter of the month. And then like shoving it down and keeping it to themselves because you're not supposed to want to win things. Like there's definitely a message in the book that like being competitive is bad. And mm-hmm. um, and but at the same time, we all are. We all want this thing, but we all see that it's it's actually shameful on some level. I mean, I I agree, right? There's this like interesting thread of kind of internal almost policing, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, flag the competitive behavior and and like try to get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also thinking that like given the the sort of clip show nature of the the plot, that like if it had been that they let themselves get competitive without thinking and reflecting on the behavior as it was unfolding, it would have just been like the same book as. 25 other books we've read (laughs) where they get in a fight over nothing and then like in the end they're like oh whoops we were letting our competing desires to win this thing get in the way of our ability to like act rationally and like I I guess this sort of happens but it's kind of in the in the inverse right they're like oh because I I'm trying really hard not to be competitive I'm not gonna share information that like Mm -hmm. like, they're still kind of doing the same thing yeah, they're doing the same thing, but instead of resulting in a in a fight, it results in like mass confusion. <laughs> yeah, but not even right. There's just one, like Don's like, oh, Mister X at it again, and then they're all like, Wait what? <laughs> you have seen Mister X? Like silly. Yeah, I think we do learn that being competitive is bad in the book. Well, and I think that we learned that as kids. Like, I think that you know you're supposed to be like nice and helpful, and like. I, well, I think too, it's interesting to think about it in as gendered because the thing that they reflect on that's bad about competition is not 
competition in and of itself or being competitive in and of itself. It's that how how the competitive desire kind of infiltrates other dimensions of things that they value, right? So the problem is that when they're all competitive at the same time around the same thing, as a group, they, you know, fight or fail to communicate. So they can't uphold this other kind of feminine virtue and value of like friendship and Mm -hmm. being good babysitters because Mm. this like, you know, masculine competitiveness kind of infiltrates that feminine space. Yeah. 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 Well, and also like it also messes with their babysitting, right? Because they like. Yeah. They're bad babysitters when they're being competitive. They like do things because they want the kids to vote for them, even though it's not the right thing to do on the jobs. I'm trying to remember some of the stuff they let happen but well jesse lets becca watch a horror film and oh, she right? has nightmares yeah yeah what's called what's it called like snake boy something snake boy loose in san francisco yeah it's amazing uh, please tell me that is not a real movie <laughs> i don't not think that's that a know. real movie <laughs> but maybe maybe matt can make it for us <laughs> Oh my god! In his spare time. He's he's a producer, right? No problem. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I was just interested in that idea, and then of course, the big resolution at the end of this book is that they bring Mel Tucker home after he's done all of these terrible pranks to multiple babysitters, and he hasn't done them to Christy because she lives too far away. And they talk to his parents, and his parents are going to send him to a child psychiatrist because he's so troubled. And they don't understand why he's so angry. But the, the girls call it the capture of Mr. X. But they're sort of just sad about it at the end. Um, I thought it was nice and a little surprising how quickly they turned from just being sad to, you know, uh, like, sorry, from being angry and trying to catch Mr. X to being like sad yeah. and empathetic. I thought that him. was where too. Don's like, give me a hug. And I was like, wait, what? Well, he starts crying. He's like, what, 10? Yeah, I think he's 9 or 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought it was a really nice display of Dawn's empathy, actually, which is a characteristic that we saw of her a lot at the beginning that that then she got weird for a few books with Dawn and the Mm -hmm. older boy, and we (laughs) didn't see as much of it. So... Yeah. I, You know, she says, poor Mel. He seemed like a scared little kid who didn't know how to deal with feeling angry. And when we knocked on the door of his house, he looked more scared than ever. But I loved also that, like, his parents... They explain the situation, and the first thing his mom says is, you're feeling really terrible, aren't you? Which, ah, if I had more parents who could, like, see that initially through the behaviors that their kids display, like, it would be so much better. I mean, I think that's a a hard thing um, when you're dealing, I have a lot of empathy for parents, too, when you're dealing with, you know, quote-unquote bad behavior from your kid, it's hard sometimes to see the, like, sadness or the, the misery that's underneath it that's leading to things, and so... For 1991, for a little boy to be mm-hmm. sent to a child psychiatrist instead of just like grounded and gotten in trouble. And, you know, because traditionally, especially at this time, there's a lot of data that, you know, boys were not being sent to mental health care. Like girls would get sent to mental health care and boys would get punished and like eventually go the like juvenile hall route as opposed to getting services. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty progressive. I thought, you know, I realistically, most psychiatrists nowadays particularly are going to, you know, unless they're in private practice, they're not going to be doing a lot of behavioral work. They're going to be starting with medication. So if it was in 2022, I wouldn't want them to start with a psychiatrist. I'd want them to start with a Mm -hmm. psychologist or therapist or social worker or somebody else, professional counselor, see what they could do before they went meds. Um, 
But what do you guys think Mel's diagnosis is? Oh, sorry. What were you? Oh saying? no, I was just gonna say that I know they use the they use psychiatrists instead, but mm-hmm. I did highlight that explaining what that was to Mel. And they said, a psychiatrist is like a doctor for your feelings. He can help you figure out why you're feeling sad or angry and help you learn how to feel better. So good. But I thought that was, that? Um, I'm not I sure. Christy. Christy. Oh, yes. Christy says it. Yay. <laughs> so smug. So Hi, smug. She said she wanted to be a child psychologist a few books ago. I just think that's cute. That's not smug. God, what? I can't appreciate. A, like, I'd be happy with any of them anyway. What do you now guys we know why Esme wanted to be a psychologist. Yeah, I said that a couple books ago. <laughs> so although I never read this book as a child, I stayed away from the mysteries. Too scary. What do you guys think is Mel's diagnosis? I mean, this sounds cynical, but I was like, is, is something going on with his parents? Well, you would be in line with most, most mental health care providers in the 80s and 90s with that question. But something might be right. I'm not saying that there's nothing going on with his parents. Obviously, like kids can act out. With, and like, maybe his parents were fighting or something. Yeah. Like we don't, yeah. we don't know. My guess is depression. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Why were you going to say that? Em? Mm, he just seems depressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, in kids and in teens, um, you know, a, a clear symptom of depression in general is sad mood, right? feeling depressed. That's one of the key symptoms. But um, kids often don't have that symptom. Um, It's not a required symptom. And often they have problems with anger, Mm -hmm. uh, especially younger kids. So um, the fact that he's just so pissed off and he's trying to hurt other people's feelings all the time and he's acting out in this way is pretty um, kind of cardinal symptoms of depression in a young boy. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think is probably happening. And I hope that Mel gets the help, help that he needs. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if he comes back around and we see a slightly different Mel in future books or if he remains just sort mm. of a mini villain. I hope a mini villain. Yeah. Is- <laughs> Anne's like, I don't want Mel to get treatment. <laughs> we need more mysteries. Don't worry. We have plenty more. Right. <laughs> what did you notice, Annie? Well, just a couple of things I just wanted to talk about is we never really talked about what California casual is. They always refer to Don as being California mm. casual. And I feel like since we're all from California and we've all lived in New York and we still live in New York, like, what, is, what does this mean to you? In 1991 or now? Uh, both. Unless, you're, unless your definition has changed. I think I've told you my, my infamous California casual story about the party I went to, a birthday party at someone's apartment when I first moved to New York City in, in the middle of August. Yeah. And- <laughs> Lizzie and I show up wearing jean shorts and everyone there is wearing cocktail attire. And it was just like a birthday party in an apartment for like a 23-year-old person. And I was like, was there a dress code at this party? And everyone was like, no. And Lizzie and I were so confused. And then for the rest of the night, everyone just called us Callie, like the two of us as a singular entity. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's yeah. 90 degrees outside and 100% humidity. Like, I'm not going to wear a silk yeah. dress. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Also, what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, from the from the book covers, we tell that it certainly involves a lot of denim on denim. This 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 cover is no exception. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like we need to make an album at some point of all of Dawn's denim on denim fits because there's a lot of them. A lot of button down shirts. Yeah. Um, I'm wearing a chambray button down shirt right now. <laughs> you are so. literally right this moment. <laughs> it's a good I, I love a chambray yeah. button down shirt. I have many. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that that's clearly a necessary component. 
I of, I often think of footwear too. I was weirded out when I got to New York by how everybody seemed to wear like real grown up shoes all the time, mm-hmm. and like that's just not what like unless I'm going on a job interview in California, I'm pretty much wearing sneakers. And yeah, it, like people were not wearing sneakers or sandals. You know, like in graduate school in grad classes, people would be wearing like flats or heels or you know, the guys were wearing like Oxfords and I was like, what is happening? I don't understand. Hmm, like not to see patients, just to like sit around and talk with your classmates about articles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, when I was my twenties working in New York, I definitely showed up to work and like ripped cutoffs once <laughs> and an adult was like, huh, cutoffs, huh? And I was like, is this, is this wrong? I'm like, I, sorry. But as I got older and into my late 30s in New York and I had an office job, I remember really resenting having to look nice Mm -hmm. to go to work. I was like, this is not comfortable. I was like, I don't want to be wearing these clothes. But like also as a manager, I couldn't show up in cutoffs anymore. I dress pretty cash to teach. Cutoffs and chambray shirt. No. (laughs) No. I've never taught in shorts, but... (laughs) I wear jeans most of the time. I mean, I have like my work jeans, which mm-hmm. are the like the nice black ones, ones, the nice yeah. black jeans. But I often I like an outfit, but I think a lot of people would just describe my style as California mm-hmm. casual, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I like a like a plain T-shirt with like a cute, you know, crop jean and like a plain white sneaker. I think mm-hmm. that that's a nice like it's a casual look, but it's a nice look. You know, mm-hmm. I still it's, uh, I, I don't look like a child teaching a yeah. class. It's yeah. like <laughs> it's like elevated California casual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think so. I get, it. I get it. OK. The next thing is who would you be in Let's All Come In? Because <laughs> mm. we got Bruce Stringbean, LaDonna. I don't know if there was anyone else. Those are the two I remember. There was one more. It was um uh I think it was another musician. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, I only highlighted LaDonna and Bruce Springsteen. Oh no, it's Daryl Blueberry, the baseball oh, star. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what would your name be? Oh. Let's all come in. Keeping in theme with some uh, of their names. Mine would be Lil Nosbisco X. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lil Nabisco? <laughs> Lil Nabisco X? <laughs> Did you just combine snacks and that's what they did too? I know, but it's really funny. (laughs) Wouldn't Nabisco? Okay, very good, Anne. Very good. I don't know. You guys can think about it while I go into my next segment. How about that? Okay. Okay. Hmm. So, in one of the babysitting chapters, Dawn makes a reference to the Avon lady. Because, like, Hmm. when someone knocks on the door and she says, Aha, uh-huh, I had a feeling it wasn't Avon calling, if you know what I mean. First, if I know, what does that mean, first of all? If you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. It sounded like weirdly sexual or something. I was like, what is that? Anyway, so I kind of looked up a little bit about why Avon ladies even have that kind of cliche associated with them as being mm-hmm. door-to-door sales people. Isn't like the original MLM? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of them just, up there with Amway, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just did like a little research. And so the first Avon lady, her name was Persis Foster Eames Elby. 
My goodness. I know. Cool name, right? And so how this all came to be is there was a businessman. His name was David H. McConnell. He was a book dealer. And this was- There's always a businessman. It's always a businessman. <laughs> always. He was a book dealer based out of New York City. Persis lived in Westchester. And her house was like connected to a store. And it was also very close to the train station. So she was kind of like a hub. And he went to her house and was like, oh, you have some books that you want to sell me? So they kind of built this relationship. And then later, he started to be like, oh, this woman's actually really good at selling books. And he realized that he could get more women to buy his books if he put free samples of perfume in with his books. Ew. This was in the late 1800s. I mean, give him a break. Still. <laughs> so the ladies they love the yeah, perfume but think about it all those women's magazines that have they're not going to read the books that have the free perfume ads in it this is where that came from oh, yeah. which is, I thought was very interesting like it like entices women to pick up the magazine like smell it and you're like as we rub your- more depressed from your segment than <laughs> <know>. from mine <laughs> I kind of am I'm like this is the guy I have to blame can I go like to yes. his grave and kill him you again because I can't buy a magazine without having an allergic reaction. Oh, that's sad. Even Real Simple? Yeah, every once in a while, Real Simple puts a puts a perfume ad in there and I get real mad. What I like about the perfume ads is when they smell so bad, I'm like, who thought this was a good idea? It like, brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> I know. Well, now you know who it is. <laughs> it, smells, it smells so bad. Here, put your nose in it. <laughs> <laughs> It is kind of a funny thing. It's like an ad that you'd like fold open and you like rub your wrist against it. It's very strange. Esme so Esme has leaned back in her chair with her left. with her hand over her mouth. She's so upset. Oh, it's just <laughs> gross. I hate it. So okay, he started selling books with perfume samples. He realized a lot of women were really into this. So then he is like, you know what? I'm going to start selling perfumes. And books separately. So the perfume company turned into the California Perfume Company. And Persis became one of his main um, sellers. And just because of her location and like it's by the train depot and everything and her her store connected to her home was the only had the only telephone line in town also. So she just kind of became a natural hub for business. And she invented, so she. It's so weird that she's not on the top 30 most I know. figures of all time. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she pioneered door to door selling and she developed a woman only network of sellers. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. And so, oh, wait. go ahead. So, wait, you're saying like other people weren't, like there weren't traveling salesmen before her? I, like she, well, maybe only for women. Okay. So she pioneered door to door selling for women. Yeah. Yeah. So she gave basically women an opportunity to make money and to become financially independent, which is still the value prop they give to MLM sellers today. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Over my Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So she uh, she invented or created this product of perfume sets. It's like a little box with five little perfumes in it, and that became her first door to door sales product, which was very successful. Huh. Yeah, so thank Persis for inventing MLM, I guess. Although, <laughs> oops, I'm sure she didn't mean it to oops. go that way. <laughs> um, Can I tell you guys something? Matt and Matt one time wrote, like by wrote, I mean just talked about a, a musical that he wanted to write about a young boy who wants to go to the Avon School for Ladies, but 
uh, boys aren't allowed. And so he has to <laughs> dress as a pose as a woman in order to go to the Avon school. And there was like a weird song. There were some fake songs for it. But the the I think the like resolution is that he's very successful in the Avon school. And even though he gets found out, he ends up going on to be the makeup artist for a rock band of men called Smooch. Um <laughs> <laughs> if he wants to actually write this i think gary it's would called, be happy to help it's called make up the musical <laughs> oh my god amazing written by a white man great yeah <laughs> he can play mcconnell in this uh musical yeah um oh well god. i did a quick search and she did not invent order door but she pioneered a lot of techniques used yeah in door to door sales nice. Well, and probably popularized it for women actually doing it. Yeah, I'm sure for that sure. women weren't doing it at that time. That's fascinating. She there's a Hummel figurine of her. Barbie <laughs> Barbie issued a doll of her. Wow. And yeah, she the the How many characters are in her Wikipedia page? <laughs> not very many to be honest. Okay, well then she's not very significant. Yeah. <laughs> all right. This whole time I've been trying to come up with who I would be mm. and let's all come in based on this situation with the using the names and making a different version and i've decided it's very hard and i apologize for laughing at little nosbisco x because i think it's actually quite good <laughs> compared to what i've come up with um i've been really struggling with like what snack i would want to incorporate and now yeah. i'm just hungry i was yeah. like i had three string cheese yesterday mm. but there's already a string yeah. example and then right. i was like what about a pretzel and then i was like what snacks do i have in the cabinet and i stopped thinking about names and now yeah. i'm thinking about snacks yeah, and all I could come up with are really like really bad, like Christy Thomas's English muffin. <laughs> like one that I came up with. Cuz I couldn't be Christy Thomas in Let's All Come In cuz I'm there with her stepsister. <laughs> and then I was like trying to trying to make something out of Paul Rudd and I got Paul Ruddabega. That's as good as I got. Those are my, um, those are my best ones. Those so. remind me of have you have you all seen um Booksmart? Yes. It reminds me of the the food that the parents make for their graduation, oh, yeah. and it's Lisa Kudrow and um, what's his face? Who's really funny? It's not J.K. Simmons, is it? No, it's I know who you're talking about. Um, He's so funny. He's like <laughs> the you know cap and gown mushroom whatever yeah, <laughs> mushroom yeah, yeah, caps. Yeah. Like this is like really really elaborate yeah. names where the things don't fit neatly yeah. into the. <laughs> That's as good as I could do. Yeah. Oh, so. salami. Being your dad, yeah, 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 <laughs> was yeah. the greatest honor of my life. Yeah. Is the name that he gives to the salami. Yeah. <laughs> oh <good>. my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so hats off to whoever's babysitting in that chapter because I'm very impressed with. I their, think it's Don. I think it is Don. Yeah. Nice, nice creativity, Don. About thanks um, coming up. <laughs> yeah, and then other name. My last kind of food related thing is when Don is like upset thinking about what's going on with this mystery person she eats a whole wheat cracker to keep her mind off things i feel like they talk about whole wheat crackers a lot and i don't know what that is like wheat thins i think are whole wheat are they there aren't no. they just like sugar it's still no, whole I think wheat they have, yeah mm. they also have mm. a lot of sugar but. whole wheats are mm. they're great wheat thins well yeah they're great because they're not healthy <laughs> Shut up. Didn't say they were. <laughs> Don well, says, Don yeah. talks about whole wheat crackers as though they are healthy. Well, yeah, it's probably so. Wheat thins stoned, are not. Do you know those stoned wheat thins that are like in the in the health section? Stoned wheat thins? Yeah. <laughs> That's like literally what they're called because they're like stone ground. 
think it is past tense like that. I really do. Like, hey, man, want to eat me? I'm a stoned wheat thin. Cowabunga, dude. (laughs) Okay, they're actually called that stoned wheat thins. It's a different brand. It has a red oval on the front. I'm not making it up. Some edible cannabis manufacturer should really borrow that. (laughs) You got to rebrand. I'm available. I... Okay. Oh my God. I love this this uh idea of Anne's next career pivot being let me help cannabis manufacturers come up with names for their snacks. It's not too far from what I already do. No. So let's just go for it. But I think you would like it. I think I would. <laughs> totally. Do we get do we get any candy in this book? Yeah. Um, there's a Hershey's bar and upsettingly an orange Tootsie Pop, which <laughs> That is the grossest that was a- flavor, like gross. The grossest gross? The grossest Tootsie Pop oh, flavor, I feel, or any hard candy is orange. Interesting. Yeah, it's not what I would choose. I mean, I always like the chocolate Tootsie Pop. But yeah, but that's kind of obvious. It's like chocolate on chocolate. I don't know. You, Emily, what are you talking about? <laughs> All right. Mm-mm. Bunch of tallies well, I don't for like Tootsie Rolls, so. Yeah. yeah. You don't like anything. <laughs> wow. So, tallies, we've got three shies, three sensitive, one sophisticated, one exotic, one almond-shaped eyes, one health food, and one individual. Dawn calls herself an individual. I'm a total individual, and I like health food. (laughs) What do you all have for weirdest line? Uh, I really like when Dawn writes a letter to Jeff and then throws it away and then starts over with, what's fresh? (laughs) I have a, I have, what's up, what's fresh? That's mine, too. (laughs) That's what I wrote down because oh she needs to impress her 10-year-old brother yeah. with her yeah. cool She's lingo. She's like, oh, God, how do they talk in California again? Yeah. I know. I've got just the thing. <laughs> um, I have two that aren't really weird, but I just thought they were funny in context. Mm-hmm. The one is when Christy says, but I like to win, said Christy quietly. <laughs> Very, like, sinister. Um, yeah, but I like it. Yeah, no wonder Dawn thought she was Mr. X. Yeah. I know. Um, and the other one was, and it was signed, Mr. X. <laughs> Just very dramatic, very to the point. Yeah. I feel like all of those are good. Impartial to. We could also do you dumb croc. I don't want to give Mel any more airtime for his ineffective uh, behavior. There's Bonzer Sheila. That's yeah. That's we could also pizza toast to Bonzer Sheila. Like, um, I like either, but I like to win or. What's up? What's fresh? I already said I want what's fresh, so I don't know. Okay, we can do that. I'm fine. Over, overrule me. I Emily, dare you. Emily's very competitive, so she's voting for her <laughs> yeah. own idea. Yes. I'm not not been very well socialized into femininity. Okay, I have a proposition for our pizza toast this mm-hmm. week. Uh, they do a pizza toast in this book. Yeah, it's been a while since we saw one. Two, quote, the best ex-busters in the state of Connecticut. <laughs> and... <laughs> And to Mr. X, may he be a happier boy soon. <laughs> I like X X Busters. To to the best X Busters in the state of Connecticut. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> should, should we do it? Say it fast, I dare you. Uh sure. Yeah. I'm excited that they had a pizza toast. I know. Um, my only other proposal was uh, you know, Mal and uh Ben Hobart's 
Ooh. Under, you know, burgeoning relationship, which we get a little dirt on at the beginning when he calls her a Bonzo Sheila. To Bonzo Sheila's. Yeah. Um, oh, we could also. Good. <laughs> Uh, um, Matt's boss is Australian so he spends a lot of time talking mimicking her accent it's like it's in there (laughs) should we pizza toast to we could also pizza toast to this a little bit nicer than you dumb croc but (laughs) to to a bonzer bonzer sheila's to to all bonzer sheila's everywhere yeah sure I'm into that Okay. all right to to all the bonzer sheila's (laughs) to all the bonzer sheila's This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for.